Now tonight we launch into an impact out of what John wrote to the seven churches inspired of the Spirit of God. It's very important that you reach for your Bibles now and open them to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. I would also encourage you to have something to write with, and please keep your Bibles open throughout the message. I'll read the text here in just a moment. Please don't then close the Bible. Please keep it open as we walk through these verses and allow this again to be a pace-setting service. This morning was pace-setting as it relates to the grace of God. We'll continue that on Sunday morning and then come in on Sunday night and look at these seven churches. Revelation 3. As you're turning there, you've all been in a hotel and you know that once you go into that hotel room, on the back of the door, there is like a map. It identifies where you are. And the reason it is telling you where you are, because in certain circumstances, you will then know how to get where you need to be. In the event of an emergency, it doesn't matter where the the exits are if you don't know where you are. You have to know where you are in relation to those points of exit. And so, as we go into this series tonight, we're going to discover by looking at their story, perhaps where we are. And knowing where we are, we then know how to respond as we are called to a new place. If I'm going to move forward, it's not only about where am I going, I need to identify where I am. And as we go through these seven churches, their story in some way will be our story. And the Lord's word to them, his instruction, his love, and his challenge, and at times his rebuke and reproof is also to us. For this word was not only written to the church in Laodicea, but it's written to the assembly. So I want to walk through these verses. Look at verse 14 of Revelation 3. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments for me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. If I correct and discipline, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. With Bibles open, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have read your inspired, infallible word. It is alive. 
May it be life to us. May it become truth that sets us free to move forward in the pace and momentum that would be of your presence for us here and now. God, may these words leap off of the page into our heart until they shape the way we think. Make us better starting tonight. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. In Disney World, there are different parks. One is called Hollywood Studios. Some of those attractions are movie sets. And you see them going through the motions of a movie. And if you listen, the person who's describing it will tell you about the set. And what they call the set is a facade. When you see a door, if you should open the door, there's nothing on the other side. It is empty. It's simply a veneer. It looks real. It's fascinating. It even grabs your attention. But it's only a facade. It is to give the impression that it's real. It makes you think it's the real deal. But should you go, you will realize how thin some of the walls are. You will see that what you thought was a door is not actually a door. Truly it is just a facade. Come with me tonight to the church at Laodicea. Jesus would say of that church that they were like that Hollywood set. Very attractive in some ways, but only a facade. On the inside, there was emptiness. All of the signs were there of a great church, but they were full of nothing. I wonder if this is a relevant word to our church, to the church world that we have in this present day. Are there gatherings where externally there is the impression of authentic faith? But if you looked inside, you realize it's empty. Laodicea was a very successful city, and it will become real to us as we see these verses. But let's begin at verse 14. For Jesus identifies himself as he does in each of these letters to the seven churches. He writes and he says, this letter is from the one who is the amen. A professional analysis is about to be made of this church. And it's not coming from just anyone. It is coming from Jesus, the amen, the so be it. He is the one who will give accurate testimony because it says in verse 14 that he is the faithful and true witness. We understand the witness on the witness stand. You're looking for a witness who would be credible, who would be reliable, accurate. You are looking for a witness who had actually heard with their own ears what had happened or seen with their own eyes firsthand. Jesus is saying, I will give the professional analysis and it will be reliable, accurate, credible because I have seen it with my own eyes and I have heard it with my own ears. And then it gives an interesting description. Not only is he the amen, the faithful and true witness, but he's the beginning of God's new creation. Don't be confused by that because it could make you think that Jesus was the first thing that God created. If that were true, Jesus would not be God. The word beginning used in Revelation 3.14 is the same word used 
in John 1, in the beginning, the word beginning is the same, was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. It is saying here when Jesus is the beginning of God's creation, he was at the beginning because he is God, he was God, he will always be God. He was there when everything started. So there's no greater, more effective person to give an analysis of this church than the one who started everything, created everything, has heard and seen everything. So this is going to be airtight. Jesus is going to give an analysis. Let's hear the testimony. Verse 15. I know all things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Well, verse 15 and verse 16 does not start out with a great report. But these people knew exactly what he was talking about. For they are in Laodicea, tucked in between two other cities, Colossae on one side and Hierapolis on the other. Please note this picture on the screen, if you will, because it shows you what the writer is talking about. Jesus is going to use a a geographical reality to express to them a spiritual reality. For you see, water, cold water, came from Colossae, very cold, refreshing water. Hierapolis had very hot water, and it flowed as well into Laodicea, full of minerals. Maybe you've been over to Hot Springs, Arkansas. There's uh, Lake Washita, and one of the places... Uh, that's a campground It's called Three Sisters. It's three natural springs that are just filled with minerals. This water was hot and it came from Hierapolis full of minerals. One from Colossae was cold and refreshing. The hot from Hierapolis was hot and healing. It came through these underground aqueducts that fed right into the city. When I see pictures like this and I do research, it is amazing to me the intellect, the ingenuity that they had back then. This water would flow through these underground aqueducts and when the cold water from Colossae and the hot water from Hierapolis came together, when they mixed, by the time it reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Everyone in the Laodicean church was very aware of their drinking water, of their water supply, and of the temperature. So Jesus, giving expert testimony, finding a way to really communicate, uses this geographical reality to explain to them their spiritual condition. It's amazing how effective Jesus is in his communication through his writers. The city knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. The problem was when the water merged. Here's Jesus' analysis. You're lukewarm. The Christians of the Laodicean Assembly of God were lukewarm. And here was the problem. If there are lukewarm Christians in the church... If their spiritual temperature is tepid and lukewarm, 
then it explains to us that their impact will also be minimal, tepid, so far from what God wants it to be. We believe, you and I, that we are living in the last days. There were three major events that were to happen before the return of Jesus. Israel becoming a nation, that has happened. The reunification of of Europe politically, that has happened. And the rise of Babylon, that's where Iraq would become a, a major focus in our news, politically and militarily, and that has happened. The next event on God's eschatological calendar is the rapture of the church. Jesus, knowing that, he is sending out a word that in the last days, he wants his church to make the greatest impact they can possibly make. He doesn't want to return to a church of low-impact Christians making a low impact upon a needy, broken, lost world. Jesus wants to return to a church that is filled with the refreshing, cool waters of his word and the hot presence of his spirit that come together to melt and soothe a troubled heart so that they can find their way home all the way to the foot of the cross. In the last days, with the world at its worst, the church needs to be at her best. And so Jesus is riding fire up. Fire up. Jesus reacts and says, I wish you were hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, is this a relevant word? Try it on personally. Try it on within this church. Try it on within this present church age. Is it a relevant word? Jesus says, because you are neither hot or cold. And I'll just read it right from the New Living Translation. I will spit you out of my mouth. There's just no no real way with proper pulpit decorum to say that other than Jesus says to the Laodicean church, you're you're making me sick. Not who they are, how they're functioning. Some of you will ride home tonight with someone who makes you sick. Not who they are, it's how they're functioning. So you see the context of of the heart of Christ. This concept of hot or cold, we, we can appreciate it by how when we go to a restaurant, you order something to drink and and you want something cold, and it's not cold, you can't work with it. If you want something that is hot. But it's not hot. You can't work with it. Failure to get a drink cold or hot is just something you can't deal with. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't can't work with the lukewarm. There's no way to validate it. There's no way to affirm it and to work through it. One or the other. Lukewarmness is a spiritual state. It speaks of complacency or indifference. They were carrying on 
the program of spiritual life. They were carrying on the program of spirituality without the reality. Like a hamburger cooked on the outside, but still uncooked on the inside. They are carrying on with life as normal, but yet Jesus is sickened. Interesting testimony that Jesus is giving us. What is it about the coming together of cold and hot that would cause Jesus to be so disgusted? Here's a word you may want to write down. First of all, the word is mixture. The problem occurred when the mixture occurred. Sometimes we lack passion for God because it's been watered down by the views of man. Now, Now I'm into the mixture. Mixture is the sin of mixing the divine with the human. It's when we have the word of God that is the moral authority and we water it down with man's opinion. And when we water down the word of God, it waters down the spiritual fire that burns within the church. I've heard it said that an apple a day will keep the doctor away. But what if you don't like apples? Let me ask a question. Is there anyone here that if I had an apple tonight and I asked you to eat it, that you just really wouldn't like it? You don't like just plain apples? But let me ask you a question. If it was a candy apple, is there anyone? Now, this is really important. You say, I'm really not after apples, but candy apples, count me in. Anybody? You don't really like an apple, but you like a candy apple. All right? Well, sometimes we go after the candy apple, and what we've done with that apple is we've just dipped it in liquid sugar. And when you take an apple and you dip it in liquid sugar, a mixture occurs, and you hurt yourself with a good thing. The apple is great for you. Dipped in liquid sugar, you have just taken away all of the apple's value and you're going to take in that which will hurt you. The word of God is effective, inspired. The word of God works, but when we dip it in the, the liquid sugar of man's opinion, then you have a country that's debating whether marriage is between a man or a woman or a man and a man. See what happens. There's there's so many applications. If we mix the word of God with man's opinion, we will dysfunction in every relationship, in every pursuit, and we will water down the spirit's fire that is fueled by the unadulterated word of God. The Word of God. Debates that are happening within marriage, within the marketplace, and within the church that we never thought we would hear debated. Come back to this sense of mixture. People who are for the homosexual marriage, they'll use the Word of God to validate their position. The Word of God is clear. The only way you can use the Word of God to validate a homosexual marriage is to water the Word of God down, to mix it with man's opinion. And when you mix 
the divine with the human, you get a tragic mixture and the result is a lukewarm Christian, a lukewarm church. And if lukewarm churches are filled with lukewarm Christians, then the impact is going to be lukewarm. And Jesus is saying, time out. We need to talk. Well, let's continue with the passage. Look with me. We've worked our way through verse 15 and verse 16. That's where he teaches us about the mixture. Now let's talk about the metric. Verse 17, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. When the mixture occurs, then our ability to measure will be way off. These people are using a metric that is irrelevant to the kingdom, presence, and power of God. When a mixture occurs in my heart, then I will measure my walk with God, the quality, the effectiveness of my walk with God. We will measure the effectiveness of the church by a metric that is wrong from the beginning. We see it right here in this verse. They are using external blessings as proof to validate spiritual reality. They used man's metric to measure their spiritual condition. Yes, we are blessed of God, but it is quite possible that the car you drive is no sign of your true spiritual condition. That the money you have, it can, it's, it's quite possible to recognize it as a blessing from God, but in the prosperity theology that got way out of the book, that got God's word mixed with man's opinion, that got mixed with the human viewpoint, takes all of the external things you have to validate your spiritual heart. So everybody went after the blessings of God rather than God. And we got more consumed with two steps to the blessings of God rather than a heart for the holiness of God. And when we go after the blessings of God rather than the God of the blessing, we will end up using a metric that is based on the external things that can never measure the spiritual temperature. John wrote, he says, I want you to prosper even as your soul prospers. Oh, may God bless you until you're making deposits in your bank account like you never thought you would make, but also be making deposits in your soul. Oh, that you would prosper as your soul prospers. Now let me give application. I hate to confess this, but you know it anyway, and it's from the church world, from a pastoral world. We have reached today, sadly to say, that our metric is the a, it's, it would be the ABCs, attendance, buildings, and cash. If you converse with another pastor on how are you doing, you're wanting a measure, you're wanting a metric, and they'll use, well, we have in attendance now this amount of people, which is always a lie. 
You know, their building only holds 75, and somehow they're running 7,200. I did go back and tell that guy it wasn't 7,200, by the way. Anyway, uh, you got that. Buildings, 110,000 square feet. Cash, here's our budget. Now, those have their place. We count people because people count. If we are on track, on target, doing the vision as God would have us, this church will grow. It will grow in attendance. It will grow in its facilities. It will grow in the budget. We, we know that. But we can let that be the metric as if God cares. You know, when I stand before the Lord, the size, the, the numerical attendance of this church will never come up. He's not going to say 1,700. Incredible, you had 1,700 people. Oh, angels, get up here. 70, it's never going to come up, which is a whole issue in of itself because the larger a church gets, the, the harder it is to lead. And if it's never going to come up, He will never say, oh, the assembly's budget. Oh, ah. <laughs> Amazing. Get more angels on that. No, but if we're stewards of what he gives us, and as he grows it, we kept it in kingdom business, in redemption business. We didn't let this building become a monument to the past, and, and we just polished the monument and say, oh, oh, don't laugh in here and don't drink anything in here. Don't drive on the parking lot. Just drive by. And the building gets sacred and we can't use it for kingdom impact. And dollars, we hold on to dollars because we need to be resourced for what? I don't know, but let's, let's hold on. If we keep it in the kingdom business, the buildings will grow. The budget will grow. The attendance will grow. We don't use a metric to say, look at our attendance. We must be awesome. It's quite possible for a church to grow numerically and be declining spiritually. Can I get an amen? amen? I mean, that's exactly what happened in Laodicea. They were a happening church. So the metric is way off when the mixture occurs. So what do we do? This is what I love about God. He doesn't say, I'm done with you. No, he stays striving with them and wanting the best. So now we're at verse 18. So I advise you. Isn't this awesome? Jesus is advising his church. What a concept that he would be the consultant. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes. So gold, garments... And medicine. All three that they would understand well. Laodicea was a rich city because of their clothing industry and their medicine. They had this incredible ability to make all of these garments from the wool 
They were selling it all over the known world. They had a medical training center in Laodicea. They had created medicine that helped the eyesight. It was amazing. It was a wealthy city. So it's interesting that Jesus then says to them, let's talk about gold. Buy gold from me. And what he's talking about there is not money, but character. Gold refined in the fire. That which can satisfy. That which will last. That which will make you authentic. That which will make you a high impact. He's talking about Christian character of the Christian life. That will make you live rich toward God. And toward people. Garments. It's a picture of justification where he takes the struggling church and says, I'm working with you. I'll bring you through. It's a new day. He even uses the word white because most of the garments they made were such deep colors and often black. And he wanted them to see the contrast. I'm going to change you. And then medicine, ointment for the eyes so that they could see because look at their metric. We're rich. Increase with goods. We don't need anything. Jesus says, oh, if you could only see You're the opposite of that. So he says, buy gold from me. Let me clothe you in purity and let me allow you to see yourself as I see you. Then you will call out for the change you so desperately need. And now in verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Notice the word turn. It's the word repent. Repentance is a good word. Repent from their indifference. Jesus is wanting them to repent of the temperature of their walk, of the temperature of the church. So we repent, we change our mind in order to change our lives. We confess, and by grace, we're able to get back on track in the direction that we need to be. And finally, verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. What an awesome picture. But do note, Jesus is on the outside. Interesting. The church is in there celebrating, probably singing about him, hearing messages about him. But the one they're singing about is on the outside. He wants in. They're going to have to decide to let him in. And he says, if I am allowed in, now let's look at it again. He says, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, it's important for us to to understand this. If I want to go eat after the service tonight, I don't need anyone to go with me to, to have a meal. I can eat all by myself. But if I come to you and say, hey, let's go to dinner. At that point, I am moving the focus more off of the food and onto the friendship. Praise the Lord, we'll do it in the context of food. Yes, we will sit at the table. But the issue at that point is not the food, it is the relationship. Jesus is not saying to the church, come in, let's sit down and eat. He is using the meal as a point to say, let's build a relationship. Let's spend time together. I want to be in relationship, strong connection with you. 
He's wanting to come into the dining room. Another aspect of the meal there is the dining room. That's where repentance is happening. If we let him into the dining room of our heart, he overcomes the mixture, which is the problem to begin with. And when that happens, oh, access like you wouldn't imagine occurs. Let him in. The issue is he's knocking, letting, let him in. And sometimes as Christian people, we think we need to clean everything up and we need to make all the changes and then let him in. Like a guest in our home. We, we have a guest coming and at times we, we clean up the house or, or just pick up everything, throw it in the closet and say, don't let the guest open that door. Don't let him in that closet. They can go everywhere else, but not in that closet. So, see, we, we kind of just pick everything up. Company is coming. Get this house ready. And now, and we just, we've kind of pushed everything out of sight. And when the guest comes in, we have them thinking, beautiful house, isn't it? And look how clean. And they're thinking it's all clean. No need for the believers in the Laodicean church to try to go fix everything. Now, listen, because the one on the outside has just described to them what he knows about them. So need to put, no need to put on any kind of game. Just let him in and get into relationship and he'll start the cleaning process so that it happens properly. So just let him in. Verse 21, let's land this plane. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. In verse 20, it's all about the dining room. And if we will respond appropriately, what happens in the dining room is repentance of the mixture. The problem is fixed and the relationship with Christ is made right. And when things are right in the dining room, the relationship, verse 21 shows us, we get invited to another room. It's the throne room. Dining room is where the relationship forms. The throne room is where decisions are made. Prayers are offered. Decisions are made. And Jesus is saying, if you'll let me come in and have a relationship with you in the, in the dining room, just let me in to your life. Let me into your church. If you'll let me be in your midst and connect with you, then I will bring you into the throne room. We go from the dining room to the throne room where the power of God is decisive concerning the needs of our lives. I know of a pastor. I don't know him personally. I know of him who had access to the White House at any time with one of our former presidents. He could just pick up the phone and set an appointment and he'd be granted access. Matter of fact, with all of those who worked right there at the Oval Office, he was on a first name basis. And so there were times that he would be invited to the White House. He would set an appointment, go to the White House. He would sit down with the president. And they had this interaction. And when he says to people about his access into like the Oval Office with the most powerful man of, of this world, the president of the United States, his access into the throne room originated in his dining room. For he befriended the president before he was the president. Invited him to his home and they sat at the table together. And the relationship they built at the table in the dining room 
is what led to the access to the throne room, the Oval Office, where the president would often say, is there anything you need? Is there anything I can do for you? Now, if that can happen on a human level, Jesus Christ being the most powerful person of the cosmos will invite you into the throne room of his presence where decisions are made in response to your requests if you'll invite him into the dining room of relationship on a daily basis. The Laodicean church had an opportunity to respond so that they would be all that the Lord wanted them to be in making an influence. Let's be a high-impact church. Amen? And the only way to be a high-impact church is to be high-impact Christians. And high-impact Christians are those who avoid the mixture, the tragic mixtures where compromise occurs, where we allow the word of God to be the word of God. And when it contradicts with the culture, we go with the word. We don't edit the word of God in order to accommodate man's opinion. We do not have to be obnoxious and we don't have to be mean-spirited, but we need to put a flag in the ground and say, this is the word of God. What it says about relationships, business, what it says about marriage, what it says about parenting, that's where we will align. We will not ask God to change and we will not try to manipulate the word so that a mixture occurs and our metric gets off where we're trying to say that we're successful when we just can't see anymore how desperate we really are. We will remain in honor of the word so that it doesn't get watered down. Therefore, the fire in our heart burns. We walk in holiness and humility and we allow God to measure this church, not by cash, not by buildings, not by attendance, but by faith that's at work, love and hope. For that's how the Bible measures a church, by the measure of our faith, to believe in a great God to do great things, the measure of our love, loving God so much that it shows in how we love people with such sacrifice and servanthood. Hope that our hearts are attached to a preferred future and as we sow the right kind of seed, we walk into that preferred future that we've hoped for the hope that God gave us. He says, I have given you a future and a hope. Even the coming of the Lord is called the blessed hope. And this church is filled in its culture with faith, hope, and love. Then when we stand before Christ, he will say, angels, come here. As I talk to this church about the kind of faith they expressed in the greatness of who I am. In the kind of love they gave to other people out of their love for me. And the way they lived with hope, even in the most trying of times, they rose with the praise because they allowed hope to be the anchor of their souls. Burn hot for God. 
Let those cool, refreshing waters of encouragement flow in your heart. Avoid the mixture. Keep the right metric. And make a difference.